Welcome to the Harry Potter Virgin, where three Potterheads guide a wizarding world virgin on their first journey from platform nine and three quarters. On this show, our resident muggle Rob will share his experience of reading the original Harry Potter series for the first time in his 30-something years. He'll be helped along the way by three veterans of the Potterverse. This is series four, episode 16, The Rob Sieve. This week, we will be reviewing chapter 30 of book four, The Goblet of Fire, The Pensive. Before Rob joins us, let me bring in my co-host to set the scene. Welcome, Millers. Hello. And Phil. Frank Longbottom. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, it is, isn't it? We've been waiting for this one for quite a long time. Uh, big chapter this week, obviously. Before we uh, crack on any further housekeeping, guys, as we approach Christmas 2021. We're all fucked. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, things fun. are things are really bad. Everyone's a bit miserable because no one knows what's going screw, on. Boris is going to screw us over. Um, Basically, like it's like Christmas is cancelled, but Boris is still going to have one. Oh yeah, and Boris will still have one. Boris is going to have. Basically, like Christmas is cancelled for everybody else. Yeah, but like it's okay for those 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 particular Tories are still gonna like have Christmas. Oh, definitely. Um, did you did definitely. you see them having parties in the first like proper proper lockdown where you weren't even allowed to sit down on a bench? Was that when they were having the parties in the garden? I can't remember the last time I went to a fucking party. They they they're having parties all the time. Left, right, and centre. Did you hear about the one where, like, they 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 like launched an independent inquiry into like the party at number ten that was supposed to happen last year, and then the guy resigned because it apparently happened in his room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. Oh. When we like start the next series, because like this series is just basically like it's it's going to the. It's going downhill, isn't it? Rapidly. <laughs> Why is it going downhill? No, I just mean in terms of like our, not not that our organisation of like get being on top of it, but we have to keep on top of it for the next series because I found it really confusing. I can't work out what like like where we are. Yeah, it is tough. It is tough to do. And then people talk to us. Obviously, people are saying like. We shouldn't put really out responding to the things we've put out, and I'm like, I have no idea what we said in that podcast. No idea. Well, we shouldn't really. Basically, we should have a rule, which is that we don't we put it out as it's ready, and we don't record until one goes out. Also, I just do think we want to bore the listeners with this. No, this no, no. Yeah. Well, let's okay. move on then. Right. Tell me about the chapter, the pencil. Okay. Part. What did you think? Right. I think this chapter is absolutely sick. I know that Rob will love this chapter. He will love it. I know that he will love it. I, he'll love it. It's um, oh, it's just too good not to love. It's too good not to love. I've said it before. I'm going to follow through with it this time. If he doesn't love this one, I'm washing my hands of him. Millers. I mean, yeah, I completely agree. I love this chapter. It's what for me. It's one of the best chapters in the book. Mm. Uh, we have had some people message in this week and say it's their favourite chapter in the oh. book um I you we learn so much it's so interesting and I'm just gonna be if he doesn't love it I'm gonna be really angry with him I think we could get an E here I don't think we're gonna get an O but I reckon we could get an E which is a result with Rob uh and the thing is, I don't, I'm not sure he likes learning this stuff 
guys, let's just say, are we all in? Like, I'm done with him if he doesn't like this chapter. Like, where are you, King? Like, you, you've you known him longer than me. You happen no. to watch him with him. Well, no, he is my my friend. Yeah, but if, yeah, he, but, like yeah, but if he gives that. this chapter a bad to it, like, King, this chapter... It is a very long friendship and quite involved. What if he gave it a P? Oh, come on, King. You've got to have standards. What, you mean like I literally just remove him from my life? Yeah, like Millie, so you, you're, he's out, isn't he, he for you? He's a friend if he gave this chapter a P. If he gives this chapter a P, I will be stunned and I may have to review how often I see him. Millie, so you're cutting him out, aren't you? You're with me. Yeah, does that mean yeah. that we're not doing the podcast anymore, Phil? <laughs> I think it, it will be even more difficult because <laughs> already we're not in the same room. Let's bring him in. Oh, uh, jumper, a jumper. I think a Santa onesie. Roll it, jump up. I fancy a mince pie. Yeah, go get the mince pies. <laughs> Where's your... And it's No, a it's not. It's, it's not a jumper. Give us the neck on that, please, mate. Feels right. Feel got it. Feel got it. It's a jumper. Hello, Rob. All right, nerds. Merry Christmas. Or whenever, or Easter, or whenever you're listening to it. <laughs> Happy Valentine. Happy Diwali. Um, oh, it's really bad editing if we've got round to Diwali again. Eid. Feliz Navidad. Eid Mubarak, Feliz Navidad. That's the same as Christmas, but you know, for the. Bar- I know, but just bringing in the old Spanish listeners, the Latin Americans. Joyana. That is one of my favorite Christmas songs these days. Feliz Navidad. Yeah, I love it. It's a good one. Very good. Quick, quick cycle of uh, favorite Christmas songs. I know, I know yours already. Who Miller's? No Kingies. Okay, What's what is yours? Uh, 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 give me a minute. Give me a minute. Oh, <laughs> forgotten. <laughs> what? <laughs> Millis, what's yours favorite Christmas song? I really like Fairy Tale of New York. Fairy Tale of New York, Phil. Um, I like that. It's Christmas. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> And you've mixed two songs there. You've mixed. Awesome. You've mixed "Merry Christmas, Everybody" by Slade and "I Wish song. It Could Be Christmas Every Day" by <laughs> oh, Yeah, no, I, 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 I like the mashup. You like the mashup? <laughs> I mean, to be honest, the Slade and the Wizard Christmas tracks are like two sides of the same coin. There, uh, Rob. Uh, Shaking Stevens, if you're wondering. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Mr. Shaking Stevens. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Belter. It is an absolute tune, yeah. Um, mine's probably Oh Holy Night, to be honest. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Jesus, get a life. Well, it is all about Jesus, isn't it? So, yeah. Is, I have got a life, thanks to him. Yeah. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so you were going to put off all our American no, listeners. Yeah, I'm going to say, there are probably some, some real proper practicing Christians out there. And like, welcome to the podcast. We love having you on. And Merry Christmas. And may we all... Be merry and bright. Yeah, be merry and bright. And and may all our Christmases be white. And all Christmases be white. Don't say that, Rob. No, snow. It was referring to snow. It's fine. Mm. Um, what? Well, oh, not... Merry Christmas. Miller's just munching on a mince pie here while she tries to get a point out. Yeah, and that's 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 real good festive texture to the, <laughs> to the podcast recording. The sort of background clag of a mince pie. Lovely I stuff. want to welcome all of the religions and all of the non-people that don't have a religion. People of no faith. 
yeah, just all the all the all the people. <laughs> so many. Just all the people. Oh, and they all go hand in hand. Come on, Rob. Hand, hand in hand to the. Is it? Park life. Park life. I don't really get it. What does it mean? Right, this is almost as bad as the one when Matt was drunk. This and has we gone were, badly. We were editing. Okay, the- right, come on. The issue with this is that I don't even know where to cut that. Let's start with some hot takes. Just the one. Hot take, hot take. Hot take. On chapter 30, the pensive. The pensive, yeah. So I would describe this as it was a movie. It was a movie chapter. I can imagine the scenes of it in a TV series or movie than a book. But yeah, it was it was it was good. It was good. It was a good one. Wasn't overwhelmed by it, but it was a good one. Yeah, you probably didn't get it. Okay, no, no, no. We'll we'll we'll, we'll dig into it. We'll we'll see what we can get from it. Yeah, I was about to say, did you understand anything? No, 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 let's not let's not make negative assumptions. It's season of goodwill. I do remember Rob saying this before about it being like a film or a movie. Uh, scene and you've made the same comparison that Harry makes because you were talking about when he went into the diary and oh, yeah Harry makes that same comparison here let's go through it Phil take us away Harry enters Dumbledore's office and what happens do you remember the bit before this he was listening outside the office they were talking about yeah he was he was hanging outside the door but they knew he was there so it's it's now a bit awkward because he's like, come in. Come on in. Yeah. Oh, sorry, what happens? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're all standing there. Yeah, great. Um, yeah. And so we got Fudge, Dumbledore and Moody. And they all kind of excuse themselves to leave and go and search the grounds. Harry says that he wants to have a word with Dumbledore. So Dumbledore advises that he waits um, and says that he won't be long. Harry looks around the room, he sees the Gryffindor sword, he sees forks, and then something catches his eye. What is it? First question, if you're a teacher, are you not leaving a student alone in your office like that? Definitely not, especially not with so many trinkets. Yeah, but he's got eyes everywhere, mate. True. Yeah, it's a bit creepy there. Um, What does he see? He sees... What does he see? Oh, the open door, the cupboard. Yeah, he sees like kind of a glimmer. Glimmer, open door in a cupboard, goes snooping, has a look in. I imagined it like a bird bath. Yeah, like a stone kind of bird. Yeah, no, that that works, yeah. Yeah, it's a stone bird bath with like sort of silvery liquid in, gloopy. He pokes it with a stick, which I like. His wand. His wand, yeah. I once, um, actually in Pembrokeshire, found a sort of squid yeah. a sort of jellyfish washed up on a beach and obviously the first thing you do is poke it with a stick and the, it, the sort of tension under the stick slash wand here reminded me exactly of the silvery liquid what it was that soft yeah it was sort of fucking disgusting the way it sort of glued yeah. under my stick no. okay I don't know I don't imagine the same texture as a jellyfish he describes it as it looks like um Imagine it like smoke. Oh, it's like windy. It's like it? a gas yeah. made solid. Or yeah. So basically he sees a patch of silvery light coming from the cabinet. He opens the cabinet door, which is a jar, and in there is a shallow stone basin. And do you remember what's carved around the outside of the basin? 
Mm, I don't know. Something he describes as runes and symbols. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, around the edge. And Harry doesn't recognise any of them. Um, He decides not to touch it because, obviously, he's got experience of... um, He's learning. He's learning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But so he prods it with his wand. He says it looks like glass. So, So it kind of goes almost looks like it goes transparent when he does touch it with his wand. And what does it almost become like? Uh, it sort of whizzes round, doesn't it? Like a sort of... No, yeah, it kind of becomes like a like a window and he wonders, is he looking yes. into a room underneath? Um, what's the room like that he's looking into now? It's like a sort of courtroom, isn't it? Like a sort of banked seating round a circular... Yeah, that's right. Centre. So what he can see is that the room is dimly lit. There's no um, windows or anything. So he thinks that maybe the room is underground, like a dungeon kind of thing. Um, There's torches in brackets around the outside. There's benches with hundreds of people sat on them. And all Mm. of these benches are facing towards something in the centre of the room, which is a chair with chains on it. Um, now the room, obviously the, the stone basin is circular and the room isn't a circle, so he can't quite see into the corners mm. of it. So he leans forward and what happens when his face makes contact with the pansy? Oh, he falls, falls in basically, falls through it into, yeah. into the scene. He almost, yeah, lurches forward into yeah. it. And what does, what does he see around him? Well, he's in the scene. He's sat next to Dumbledore. Yeah. He's in one of the seats, but like no one can see him. He's just observing it, the memory. So, and, and he kind of concludes that, yeah, this, he's had an experience like this before, which was when he fell into Tom Riddle's diary and that he must be part of a memory because he knows Dumbledore wouldn't ignore him. What's everybody in there focused on? They're all looking in the same direction. The old chair, probably. Chair with chains, no. The door, someone's coming in. The door, the door. They're all looking at the door. They hear footsteps and a man enters flanked by Dementors. Who is it? It is Ludo Bagman. No. Ludovic Bagman. No. It's the son of him? No. It's the son of Snape. Nope. Who's the other one that's on oh, trial? Lord, come on. Karkaroff. Karkaroff, sorry, yeah. There's so many trials, I got confused. There's, well, three. there's three trials and you work in law. Not not my arena. <laughs> not that. Well, Karkaroff's um, worked his way into my everyday lexicon, by the way, because I refer to the car keys as carks, always have done. Carks and housks, right? So I say, where the housks? Not having that. Carks works. Housks, yeah. And so, yeah, now now whenever it's Karks, it's uh, Karkaroffs. What, so you say, where are my Karkaroffs? Yeah. And then Kat says, they're in your pocket. Sort of only really ever to myself, but, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Don't want to sound like a nerd. Cool. So is Karkaroff, like, what the hell was going through your head? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Keys, where are my keys? (laughs) Did I put the keys away? Yeah, so obviously, yeah, I kind of understood this. It was kind of a flashback situation. Mm-hmm. 
and obviously Karkarov's out and about, so we know like he got off. Yeah, it was okay in some way. So, would you remember why Karkarov is there? What's the situation? Sort of Voldemort-related stuff. Voldemort-related gear, isn't it? He's accused of being Voldemort supporter. When he sits down on the chair, what happens? What do you mean? What happens? It's too open-ended. This is pants down stuff. This is pants down stuff. This is shocking. He gets his pants pulled down. Rob, no, you're having your pants pulled no, down right now, mate. Rob, have you read it? Everyone's looking at your ass, going, "What's when this? Not they doing?" You didn't read it properly. <laughs> it's bloody harrowing. What happens? He sits down, and the chains snake up his arms. Okay, that's terrifying. Gary, were you not scared? Well, it's the magic chair that chains him in. That's presumably okay. stock standard. Okay, so the chair binds him. He I mean, looks... Has that happened in any chairs that we've come across in the books that you've read so far? Mate, all sorts like is happening. Three and a half books in. All sorts is happening. Let's all take a moment. Let's get off Rob's back. We want this to be... Could we all take a deep breath? Like, maybe... Maybe if the questions are a little more directed. And Phil... No, 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 Phil, I'm not... I'm not no, he. I think it was I'm very obvious what she wanted to Philippa, say what I'm if asking you'd read you, the chapter. Philippa, what I'm asking you to do is to just come down to Rob's level a little bit. It, honestly, I don't know how. Can't get some... that far down. Oh, I've been hanging out with a four-year-old all day and I'm struggling with this. <laughs> well, let's see what we can do. Okay, Harry makes a few observations about Karkaroff, which is that he looks much younger, um, but he's quite scared and he's in ragged clothing. So he's obviously been brought from Azkaban. Then we hear the voice of Barty Crouch. Okay, so we know Crouch, don't we? We know Crouch well. He is kind of leading the proceedings. And Harry notices that Crouch also looks much younger, much fitter and stronger and um, is incredibly authoritative. So Karkaroff has been brought from Azkaban because he says he has evidence that he believes will help the ministry. He's basically use it, using it as a bargaining chip because he's been convicted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's snitching. Mm-hmm. His guilt's not up for debate, is it? We know absolutely, that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But he's there to name names. Informant. So at this point, we hear the voice of someone else familiar, and they say, Filth. Do you remember who that was? This person sat next to Dumbledore. Yeah, it's Moody. It's Moody. Yeah, never been a fan of Karkaroff. He's got both eyes. Yeah, he's got his old eyes, pre-perv. So it's interesting, isn't it? So we know that at the end of the war, he still had both eyes. And Moody makes a comment that it it took him six months to track Karkaroff down and he thinks the Ministry are going to let him off. So he's really angry that Crouch seems to have done a deal with him. Um, Karkaroff explains, starts explaining that the Dark Lord um, kept everybody very separate and operated in great secrecy. And that's obviously, you know, to prevent somebody coming in and um, being able to name all of his supporters. He says that he has some really important names of people he saw with his own eyes doing the Dark Lord's bidding. The names that he gives are Dolohov who's already been caught, but obviously doesn't know. Rosia, 
who's dead, Travis and Mulsiver. And when he says Rookwood, there seems to be a lot of commotion. So it's obvious that this is a name they don't already have. And Rookwood works in the Department of Mysteries. So he seems to have kind of struck gold there. Um, Crouch explains that they've already got Travis and Mulsiver. So Rookwood is good. He suggests that they send Karkaroff back to Azkaban, at which point Karkaroff's really digging and he comes out with another name. Who's the last name he puts forward? Snape. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. What did you think? Well, I kind of wasn't that surprised because didn't we know that he was involved anyway at some point? I think, and I think you two would agree with me here, I think there's always been this undercurrent of kind of scepticism around Snape. But I think this is the first time we hear what seems to be quite concrete evidence that Mm. he was a Death Eater. Am I right in saying that, guys? This is the first time we know for sure. Obviously, there are hints earlier in this book. Oh, yeah, there's loads of hints. But this is the first time that we seem to get quite concrete evidence now what is the response to that um doesn't Dumbledore say that he's he thinks it's all right yeah so Crouch says oh we know that Snape was in fact a death eater but um that he changed sides whilst you know was still powerful at great personal risk and became a spy for our side And Dumbledore says he's now no more a Death Eater than I am. So basically, we learn that Snape has escaped any sort of repercussions, as far as we can tell, because of Dumbledore, because he's he's had Dumbledore's protection. So Crouch now sends Karkaroff back to the Dementors. And obviously, we can presume that this evidence was enough for him to get out, because, as you said, we know that Karkaroff is now free. Um, what was going through your heads at this point? Anything? Mm, not much. No, not much. not much. Just rolling on. Rolling on. So the scene result dissolves and um, it comes back. Harry is sat in a different seat and the mood is much more relaxed. Who does Harry notice over the other side of the court? Your mate? My mate? From Newcastle. Oh, Rita Skeeter, yeah. A young Rita Skeeter. Absolutely. Captures his eye. Mm-hmm. And he also sees Crouches there and he notices some difference in Crouch's appearance. Do you remember what they are? Oh, he's a little bit older now. He's a bit more haggard. We're going, we're going forward in time. We are going forward in time. He's described yeah. as fiercer and gaunter. Seen some tough times. Absolutely. Who enters this time round? It's Ludovic Bagman. Absolutely. Um, so there's no mention of Dementors in this one. And when he sits on the chair, it doesn't bind him at all. What's the observations that Harry has made about Ludo Bagman? Uh, he's young. He's physically fit. Yeah, top of his game. Yeah, he's a robust but it's just at the high of his Do you powers. imagine he was wearing like a tight, like a synthetic tight top? Yeah, and sort of very small shorts. Yeah, durex. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do we learn? What's going on? He is being accused of some wrongdoing. Yeah, so basically they've heard evidence against him um, of charges relating to the activities of the Death Eaters. And he's asking Bagman for his final statement before they pass judgment. What is Ludo Bagman's response to this? Oh, he's innocent. Yeah, so it basically transpires that he's been accused of passing information to Voldemort supporters. But also, which, which Voldemort supporter? To Rookwood's. Yeah. Yeah, so we can so we can very much, and I'm sure you were mapping this out in your head the whole time, Rob, the chain of events that happened here, that due to Karkaroff's testimony, they then realised that Rookwood was actually a Death Eater working within the ministry, and then they must have found out that he got some of his information via Ludo Bagman, so they started looking into Bagman. I know, obviously, you all have mapped all that out in your heads. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Bagman kind of talks about, oh, no, I didn't know, absolutely not. I had no idea. I thought I was getting information for our side. Rookwood was a friend of my dad's. Um, he talked about getting me a job in, in the ministry, and, and he's quite, kind of quite charming. Sounds legit. And he really, well, he's won you over, and he's, it sounds like he's very much won the crowd over. Crouch goes on to suggest to Tim and Azkaban, but there's kind of a decent upheaval amongst the other people in the room. And Crouch ends up putting it to a vote. And basically the room all kind of votes for Bagman not to have any sort of term in Azkaban or anything like that. And the dungeon dissolves again. And I will be handing over at that point. What do you think about this... um this like experience that Harry's having. It's a bit weird that they're voting for uh, just to sort of vote in the room as to whether he's he's. Well, it's just very similar to a jury. Well, they, they they do at some point. He does refer to them as a jury, so that it's not everyone. Not everyone's voting. So Moody doesn't vote. Donald doesn't vote. There are a specific group of people within the room that are the jury. I more met the fact that he's in this memory. <laughs> Yeah, well, we've seen it, we've seen it before, isn't it? Uh, He's been in a memory. Why? I mean, why do you think we're here, Rob? Because it helps us to it helps us to know the backstory, doesn't it? Some of us. So, is it helping you? Do you enjoy finding out the backstory? Uh, yeah, I guess we've got to find out sometime, haven't we? Fuck's sake! Yeah. And this is basically a way of doing it without just doing a little flashback, which is you know clever. Give her that. Give her that. Let's carry on. So the room seems to sort of dissolve and then reconstitute itself in front of Harry's eyes. And again, he's in the same place, but the mood feels very different now. What's it like in the room this time, third time? Oh, it's bleak. It's bleak this time around. Tense. Yeah, it's described as total silence broken only by the dry sobs of a frail wispy looking witch and we'll come back to her in a moment that witch is sat next to mr crouch who is sat there looking even gaunter obviously we've moved a bit further on into the future and um he says bring them in and who do the dementors bring into the room 
this time, or rather, how many people are bought in this time? Isn't there like four or five? This time, the dementors are back, the chairs with the chains are back, and they're all put into the chairs. And it's described uh, that we have one thick-set man who stares blankly up at Crouch. We have a thinner, more nervous-looking man. We have a woman with thick, dark, shining hair and heavily hooded eyes. And who is the fourth person, or what do they look like? It's Crouch's son. He's a little wheezy little teenager. Yeah, yeah. he's a sandy-haired, boyish-looking thing. And it says that his skin is really pale. Which, next to Crouch, is like rocking back and forward a bit more now at the moment. And, and who do we find out quite quickly that that is? It's his mum. Crouch stands up in front of these four people and he starts to explain the formalities. You know, you have been brought here in front of the Wizarding Council of Law, whatever we, whatever he says. And the boy interrupts him and what does he shout? Dad, it wasn't me. Or something along those lines. Yeah, he starts pleading, calls him father, please. And Crouch ignores it and he just plows on. Why have these four people seemingly been convicted or what have they been convicted of didn't they they've helped Voldemort a specific crime oh they 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 crucified someone do you remember who Bertha Jorkins here we go I'll read it out by crucified you mean the crucio crucio yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have heard the evidence against you. The four of you stand accused of capturing an aura, Frank Longbottom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, no. Subjecting yeah. him to the Cruciatus curse uh, to try and extract information from him. Do you remember what information they were trying to get? I do not. So they're trying to get from Frank Longbottom the whereabouts of Voldemort, who it seems at this point, at the time of this trial or sentencing or you know everything rolled into one has gone more is missing this is obviously after Voldemort's altercation with Harry that seems to have ended him and there are still Voldemort supporters out there you know looking for him and they've gone and tortured this aura Frank Longbottom but more than that what else did they do they, they saw Crucioed him, played about with him a bit while he was down. Crucioed him, and when he didn't have the information they wanted, what did they do next? Killed him? No. No, they... This is shocking. This is, this is shocking. I, I have they... to... I'm cutting you as much slack as I can. But when did you read you this? Read when did you read wrong. this? I don't know, like three or four days ago. Right. Do you know what I think we need to do? Series five, we need to just go away for a week and we just need to read the book in and do it in a week. Because this is not like you're... I think you feel like he's not getting into it because he's got too long in between. Might be a good idea, actually. Anyway, we go on. So what happens is Crouch says, you are further accused, ignoring his son, who's, you know, pleading with him. Desperately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of using the Cruciatus curse on Frank Longbottom's wife when he would not give you information. Yeah. Don't say yeah, like you brought that up. I asked you what they did. And, and you said, said no, they, you said they, they, they killed, killed him. him. And the important thing is that they didn't kill him. So he continued. 
You planned to restore he must he who must not be named to power and to imagine them not even using his name in a court of law and to That's resume the lives of violence he presumably led while he was strong. He's talking about Voldemort. He's the annoyed that Crouch won't. won't say Voldemort. The boy is going crazy. He screams out to the woman next to Crouch. What does he scream out? Um. Yes. Mother. Mother. Shades of Dragonheart there. And. <laughs> you remember that scene, don't you? It's not a phrase I want to hear. Crouch yeah. asks the jury to, de- to deliver their, their verdict, basically. And they unanimously vote for what sentence, Rob? Thumbs down. What sentence? Oh, uh, Azkaban. To Azkaban with the... How long? Long time, I reckon. Life. Life life in Azkaban. Yeah. The boy absolutely loses it. Yeah, fair enough. They're trying to sort of remove him from the room. Do you remember what the sort of dark-eyed woman says one of the Death Eaters who's now been convicted, what she sort of addresses Crouch directly. Do you remember what she says? She is, she's unrelenting, unremorseful. She's like, did it and it was good. None of the other three seem to make any indication that they might be innocent or that they didn't do it. So very different to Carcroft and obviously Crouch's son who's, who's losing it. And she says words to the effect that Voldemort will come back and he'll remember that we were loyal and he will reward us like no others. The boy is trying to fight off the, the Dementors and he actually sort of approaches Crouch and his mum and he's sort of screaming at them. And what does Crouch sort of say to him is sort of final, brutal. He says, you're no son of mine. You're not my son. Yeah. The boy says, I'm your son. And he says, you are no son of mine. I have no son. All very East End, isn't it? Crouch says, take them away. And, and he's dragged from the room, kicking and screaming. And what happens next? What's the next voice that Harry hears? Uh, isn't it Dumbledore like sort of lifting him out? Yeah, well, he realises suddenly that there are two Dumbledores. One yeah. younger who can't see him and another one, the real one, who seems to have sort of quietly descended to join Harry in the memory. And he sort of says, come on, Harry, it's time to go. And they return to Dumbledore's office. Harry immediately kind of starts to, um, you know, explain and is sort of jabbering an apology, but Dumbledore says that he understands he doesn't seem to be um, angry. And they sit down at the desk and Harry is staring at the pensive and eventually he just asks, you know, what is it? And what does Dumbledore explain about the pensive? What, what do you reckon Harry would have to do to actually get told off by Dumbledore? Well, we might find out later in the book. Because he is lo- he is loose leash with him, isn't he? Really loose leash. Um, I've got the question. Sorry. Yeah, I know you were thinking about your own loose leash. <laughs> what does Dumbledore tell Harry about the pensive? Harry asks him, "What is this thing?" And oh, how- it's it's like a sort of place where you can pop your memories, sling them around a bit let think about stuff sort of analyze it in a new light and yeah you can get them out of your head when you've got loads of memories going on yeah 
and then you can look at it, look at it afresh. Yeah, you can you can take them out, free up some brain space for a bit more information or processing, whatever. And yeah, you can peruse the memories with with a bit more perspective. And he sort of says to Harry, I'm sure you know what that feels like. And what does Harry sort of think privately? Yeah, no, he hasn't got hasn't got enough thoughts in his head. For that. <laughs> he, has, he hasn't got a clue what that might feel like. And Dumbledore says, you know, let me let me show you sort of how it how it works. And how does he show Harry process of adding a new memory to the pensive? Oh, he he'd like think isn't he thinking about what's happening now? And then he puts it puts it in there so Harry could can see it. Yeah, kind of. So he gets his wand. Dumbledore takes his wand and he sort of puts it to his temple. And he draws it away from his head and Dumbledore just kind of adds it to the pensive. And what face does Harry see swimming around the pensive when Dumbledore does this? His own face. That's right, yeah. And then Dumbledore kind of picks it up and he he swirls around the contents and the face changes into snakes. And the, this memory of Snape speaks. And do you remember what it says? approximately no i don't he says it's coming back karkaroff's too stronger and clearer than ever so what did this make you think of rob from a couple of chapters ago the uh, uh, voldemort's coming back anything about you know this is the third time that we've had snape karkaroff something coming back looking stronger do you think they're just talking about voldemort or do you kind of remember what else they might have been talking about i think it's Voldemort. okay fine moving on so dumbledore kind of he says oh well that's a connection i could have made on my own but he sort of says it sort of into the air doesn't seem to even be saying it to anyone and he said basically that he was using the pensive when cornelius fudge arrived he obviously didn't lock the cabinet properly obviously harry's curiosity's got the better of him he's not bothered He's not angry. Harry apologises anyway. Dumbledore says, he's, don't worry about it. Let's move. Let's he's move not on. angry, but I always read this as being like ever so slightly passive aggressive. It's like, oh, I'm sure it was too, I'm sure it was too tempting for you. Oh, I see. I don't. Yeah. Undoubtedly, I, I did not fasten the cabinet door, cabinet door properly. Naturally, it would have attracted your attention. Are these, these are all Dumbledore's memories in the bowl? Yep. So he could have stumbled upon anything in there. Could have. Because my, I'll be honest, my first thought about this was it was it was Dutty. It was going to be Dutty thoughts that he might have collected in there. Because that's what I would have done. Um, but Rob, they're not all of his memories. No, but I mean, if you wouldn't want someone thumbing through your memories, would you? Well, you wouldn't put those in the pensive then, would you? You can select what you put in. Well, you might do if you wanted to ruminate on them and come back to them later. Well, just keep it in your head, mate. Just shower or whatever. This is like downloading inappropriate material. Just don't download it. Oh, I see. Okay. So I didn't know where that was going. It's like a sort of, it's like a to-do list. What, the pensive? Of memories. How is it to do no, this in any sense? Yeah. It's just a way of seeing them more clearly. Right, okay. So he's not just leaving them all in there. No. Right. 
He's still got plenty of memory okay. in his own head. So Harry was thumbing through them, though, wasn't he? So it was the three in there, at least. Yeah, Harry, yeah, yeah, Harry seems clearly... to have just kind of fallen into maybe whatever he was most looking recently at, looking think, at or yeah. thinking of, you know, in the pensive. Mm. So when Dumbledore kind of, you know, swirls them around and whatever, it's like anything might come up or, you know, maybe he's looking for something in particular. Oh, I'm just saying it was lucky. It was it was something that was helpful. And, was it? And useful. Was it? Well, it was certainly it was certainly lucky for the narrative. So <laughs> it's not lucky though, is it? The point is that's what Dumbledore was looking at. No, I know, but it's just like that's that's the, the particular moment where Harry's got his nose in it, literally. But that's because that's how it, it was like imagine Dumbledore's left a book open. Yeah left it out and Harry goes and has a look he sees the page that Dumbledore's left open yeah 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 that's not luck that's because Dumbledore's left that page open no I'm saying it's luck that he's 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 come at the point where the book's open on the right page for him that is because that why do you think Dumbledore was looking at those memories no I know but you know Dumbledore might have looked at those memories and then 10 minutes later he might have just gone back into his other memory bank and that's when Harry arrived at the door and then what does he see? God knows. I'm just saying it's luck. lucky it was the right time. No, so basically he's, he's looking at these memories and he's thinking, oh, yeah, it's all kicking off with Crouch. Oh, I remember Crouch doing yeah. this and Bagman or whatever. Oh, now we've got 10 minutes before the oh. minister turns up. You know what? I fancy a right. Yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll do that. Yeah, now, Mood, now Moody's popping by in um, 10. Um, so I got plenty of time to just. These intensive memories are so clear. This won't take more than two minutes. <laughs> I can do this. Look. Moody walks in. Dumbledore is hunched over the intensive. With plenty of activity. This is where you wanted this conversation to go, isn't it, Rob? And I think we can just get this out of the way. No, no. So just, just, just for the record, I've said none of that, Millers. I have said none of that. I've just suggested it was the right time. It was a lucky time. I don't think it's the point is it's not. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you get Dumbledore. Well, no, I mean obviously it's not lucky because it's like, you know, that's the way it's written. That's the way it's written for the narrative. Dumbledore says it's fine to be curious. Don't worry about it. Then Dumbledore prods the liquid in the pensive. And a figure rises up out of it, almost like a little kind of 3D miniature model. And Matt speaks. Do you remember? I mean, you won't. Either who was or what they said. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. At this point, Jesus. why do we bother asking me any questions? Jesus Christ. No, but I'll know when you tell me. Oh, really? Rob, that's the stupid thing to say. So, Brilliant. the figure seems to be a girl of about 16. She says... He put a hex on me. Yeah, yes. It, it, bang, bang, uh, buzz in. Rob. <laughs> it's Bertha Jorkins from when they were at school together. No, from when she was at school. <laughs> Not from when they were at school together, but fine. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> he put a hex on me, Professor Dumbledore, and I was only teasing him, sir. I only said I'd seen him kissing Florence behind the greenhouses last mm. Thursday. And Dumbledore says, again, he's, he's sort of saying a lot of stuff, sort of, thinking it through to himself or just yeah. into the room and then the conversation turns to why harry was coming to see professor dumbledore anyway rob 
Why was Harry coming to see Professor Dumbledore in the first place? Because of his dream sort of, what uh, was it? Yeah, sort of dream slash faint sort of dream scenario. Where is his um, scar hurt? Obviously saw the sort of the snake and the Voldemort in the chair and whatnot. Um, and so, yeah, he's come to tell Dumbledore because that's kind of what he feels is the right thing to do. Yeah, so Harry tells all of that to Dumbledore, and yeah, you've recapped it really well there. The only thing that you um, didn't mention was that Wormtail is there. It seems as though Wormtail made a mistake. He's caused a problem, but the problem has been solved by the death of someone else, is mentioned, and that seems to have solved the problem, and you know things are back on track. So... Harry then learns that Dumbledore also knew about the very similar dream that he had in the summer, the one that woke him up right at the beginning of the book. Harry asks, how do you know about that dream? And what does Dumbledore say? Um, he says, I've seen all of your dreams. I'm inside your head. No, he says he's been, he's been corresponding with Sirius as well. Absolutely. He says, you know, you're, you are not Sirius's only correspondent. Dumbledore gets up and he starts to sort of pace the room and he's adding more memories uh, to the pensive as they go. And Harry kind of breaks the silence or whatever. Because Harry's mentioned as part of the retelling of the dream that it makes his scar hurt and that's what woke him up. What does Dumbledore say about the scar hurting? Do you remember? Um, not specifically, no. That's he okay. has a theory about why it happened. That's um, okay. Voldemort's coming near or is hurting him. Yeah, it's when he's most. near or angry, particularly angry. Angry, yeah, yeah. Angry at yeah, Harry. That's right. Dumbledore starts, starts talking about his, his theory. Why would that be? Harry asks that straight away. Why would my scar hurt when he's angry or when he's near? It's magic, isn't it? It's what, it's what it's, he did yeah, it. Let me just see. I think Dumbledore... He was the one that did it. There's Dumbledore what just you see, says, What do you mean by did it? Yeah, just magic in it is what Dumbledore <laughs> did. Voldemort did, did the scar. Voldemort done the scar. And so, therefore, that's why it's going to hurt, because it's linked with him. Linked. That's what we needed. There was a key word you were sort of missing there. Dumbledore uses the word connected, but I will take anything at this point. Linky. Dumbledore says... I played a lot of Linky this weekend. Dumbledore says... Yeah, you are linked because Voldemort was the one who gave you the scar and it's not a normal scar. Mm. Harry has one more thing to kind of say about the dream because Dumbledore thinks that it's possible that if Harry's scar is hurting more often, Voldemort may be getting more powerful. Mm. But Harry has a question about that. There's something that he doesn't understand. How can he be getting more powerful? When he doesn't have a body. Yeah, that's right, when he doesn't have a body. And then Harry kind of thinks, well, he was holding a wand in the dream because he was doing Crucio and Wormtail. And again, this is not really explained much further or talked about much further. Harry's sort of sentence just kind of trails off and Dumbledore doesn't have an answer for how Voldemort would be holding a wand when he doesn't, as far as we know, have a body. Harry just asks, you know, do you think he's getting stronger? And Dumbledore says that he can only give Harry his theories. But yes, he does suspect that Voldemort is getting stronger. And what evidence does Dumbledore suggest that we have for this? 
connects it to last time. Last time what? Last time Voldemort was was around and growing in strength. There were yeah, lots of. It's okay. He says that Voldemort's last period of power was characterized by a number of sudden disappearances. Disappearances, yeah. And what's happening this time, Rob? Well, there's been Jorkins has gone. There's been the old boy, Bryce, is it? Yeah, yeah, Frank yeah. Bryce. Yeah. Frankie Bryce from the start of the book. A titan within the ministry. Crouch. Yes, so we've had Bertha Jorkins whose disappearance has been largely Beach. excused and swept under the rug. Then there's been a very high-profile disappearance of a very uh, senior person within the ministry. Mm. And Dumbledore does also mention the disappearance of the muggle Frank Bryce. Why would Dumbledore think that would be important? What information does he know about Frank? He was the groundskeeper of the house from the... What house? Uh, Riddle, the Riddle House. The Riddle House, and obviously we know Voldemort's... Is Tom Riddle. First name was Tom Riddle, so, you know, there must be some link there with that house. And, yeah, that's even a more specific answer than Dumbledore gives. Dumbledore merely mentions that he lived in the village where that house uh, was or where, where Voldemort's father grew up is what he actually says. He's saying I'm cleverer than Dumbledore. Do you think I'm one step ahead of him? I'm saying that you gave um, a more specific answer than the information that was in the, the yeah. well, not even the chapter, the um, the Muggle newspaper article that Dumbledore read. I suppose it's feasible that it would say, you know, Frank Bryce of Little Hangleton rather than <laughs> Frank Bryce, who was the game, the, the, the garden gardener for, for such and such house. But anyway, Dumbledore looks very serious at this point and harry sort of says so do you think these are all linked these disappearances and dumbledore dumbledore says yes then the conversation turns to what a long chapter this no turns to what harry it turns to what harry actually saw in the pensive and he wants to ask about the court scene Mm. he says you know the trial you found me in the one with crouch's son were they talking about Neville's parents? What do we learn here, Rob? Uh, Neville's parents were long bottoms. Yeah. They were auras. Yeah. And they got crucioed. And don't tell Neville about it. It's his thing to, that's why I was brought up by his grandmother. That's right. His thing to share. Yeah, so that, yeah, Dumbledore says, you know, do you not ever wondered why Neville's been brought up by his grandmother? And Harry kind of can't believe that. I feels bad because he just. <laughs> yeah, more, more no one else has ever kind of questioned that. No one's ever said anything. Um, Treated like shit. Yeah, Dumbledore asks Harry not to mention this. And he explains that the Longbottoms were very, very popular people and that this crime caused a huge outcry now what was the result of this crime harry asks so they're dead oh no they're not dead they're just they're basically just like shells yeah husks yeah so they need permanent care basically and they're they're in the wizarding hospital they don't recognize neville 
Mm. Their son, they don't know who he is. And we're told <laughs> Neville does get to go and visit them. But obviously, yeah, there isn't much that they can do or say, so it seems. Dumbledore does say that it was kind of significant that they were such a popular couple that this happened too, because it put a huge amount of pressure on the ministry to find the culprits and, and convict them. And obviously the Longbottoms were the only witnesses to the crime. So there was a bit of a lack of evidence around who did it. And Harry asks, so it's possible that Crouch's son wasn't involved yeah. in this crime. And Dumbledore says, basically, I have no idea. Hmm. Then we're getting right towards the end of the chapter now, Rob. There are just a couple of things that Harry wants to check before he's missed by Dumbledore. The first one is Bagman, about why Bagman was on trial and everything. And Dumbledore just very quickly kind of dismisses it and says that uh, Ludo Bagman has never been accused of any dark activity since. And it seems legitimate that Bagman's excuse on, you know, in the dock is believed negligently passing information rather than maliciously. And then who is the last person that Harry wants to bring up? Snape. He wants to talk about Snape. Now, we always know Harry has always had a terrible relationship with Snape. Right back from the, the first book, he thought Snape was trying to steal the Philosopher's Stone. Turned out that Snape was trying to protect it. And he's never, ever trusted him. Dumbledore says quite clearly, Professor Snape is the same as Ludo Bagman. He's no more been accused of dark magic since then as, as Bagman has or, or, or I have. And Harry asks him, what made you think he'd really stopped supporting Voldemort, Professor and what does Dumbledore say in, in reply? Do you remember? Uh, just trust me. Kind of. It's implied, but he says that is a matter between Professor Snape and me. Yeah. So it's heavily implied here, yeah, that we should trust Dumbledore, but Which also that, tell you. yeah, Dumbledore has a reason, a concrete reason for, for trusting Snape, but Harry is not being made um, aware of it at the moment and yeah then we just get the very end of the chapter with harry leaving the room and he looks back and dumbledore standing over the pensive and he looks very old yeah and lit from underneath by the light from the pensive yeah it's never a favorable light is it what does dumbledore say to harry just as he's leaving oh good luck good luck in the old tawny yeah good luck with the third task and that is the end of chapter we're there didn't need to read it well you didn't <laughs> i genuinely did read it for sure not very well i just want to know like did this not evoke a huge amount are you like dead inside uh could be How could do be you not like i found this chapter not just the first time I read it, like any time I read it, just like incredibly dark. It is so dark. Yeah, the old father-son stuff was a bit dark, for sure. Yeah, like, the th you know, that, that like family being completely ripped apart. And then you hear 
oh my gosh, was it even was it even necessary? Like, was that person even mm. guilty? And then what you find out about Neville and like he's got parents that can't even yeah. that were tortured into insanity. Yeah, there's a lot of rough gear going on. Like it's tragic. There are a lot we learn more about lots of people we've heard of. Like it gives us more information about Neville's story. We learn a little bit more about Snape, about Karkaroff, about Bagman. Like, and I know that, you know, it is alluded to about Snape being a Death Eater before now, but we we seem to have like a the 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 three, like the big three seem to have like uh, they rely a lot on Sirius in this book and Sirius's information. And Sirius says in the Padfoot Returns chapter, I can't imagine Dumbledore would ever have Snape with him if he'd if he'd ever been that connected to Dumbledore. So it is he's it, ever been that connected to Voldemort. So it is a surprise, you know, one of the, the two biggest two of the two biggest surprises for me in this is that you've got two characters in this that now work in schools mm. like high up in schools that have you know either are previous death eaters or have had really it seems to be accepted that they were both death eaters at some point and you're just like Meh. yeah but i sort of isn't there the, the german schools are like sort of characterized as a bit of a sort of slytherin kind of vibe anyway so it sounds like he'd maybe he'd be he'd fit well there yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. Do I think that he would be the head ever get away with being the headmaster of Hogwarts? No, I don't. But we still judge everything we read in these books by our own standards to a degree, don't we? That we just do. So are you not like shocked by it? This doesn't scream kids' book to me. No, there's there's a lot lot of darkness going on here for sure. I'd agree with that. All these books have been existing within this wizarding world, right? And you've been aware of Voldemort and that he was around and that that was a thing. Largely, that's been a thing of the past, right? Mm. But something bad that happened, he was a baddie and now he's gone. I would hope that this chapter would start to help you to understand maybe a little bit more about what happened during Voldemort's time. And also how it has sort of scarred the wizarding community only sort of 14, 15 years into the future. So, you know, he goes away, but that doesn't mean necessarily that the slate is wiped clean or that there aren't like skeletons in the cupboard or there aren't going to be ramifications further down the line Mm. and why people are so terrified of him potentially. Can I say his name? Yeah, I agree. What are your ratings? What are your ratings? What are your ratings? What are your ratings? It's ratings time. Can I have a rating, please, for chapter 30, the pensive? Yeah, I am going to give it an E. Borderline E. Borderline. Borderline in on what? No. No, borderline from an A. Borderline from an A, correct. You're wrong, man. Issues. Well, you know what? I I was hoping for an E, and I've got one, so I'm not going to say that I'm too disappointed by that. 
I would make a request. It's a sincere request. I'm not not trying to take the piss or be funny. <laughs> Do try to read it better. Do <laughs> you speak English as a first language? Like, <laughs> like the the critical reading is is not. Good. I do think you're don't remember you're anything. Like, you can't draw any connections I'm to anything. Not, you're not thinking about you're not what thinking. this stuff means. You, you need to think as you're reading it. Because I worry, Rob, that like we know you, we know that you're you're intelligent, you're not a stupid person. But I worry that to people listening to this podcast, they must just think you're quite stupid. I think you just get like bogged down in the real detail of it though. Like you're reading every detail. Yes. <laughs> well, Rob, story. It's called the story. You're you're ignoring the story. Rob, how much time do you reckon you spend on this podcast a week? Too long, baby. <laughs> yeah, I knew I knew you'd say that, even though it's a fraction of what us suckers spend on it. Like, I knew you'd say that. If you think you're spending too long on it, why aren't? Why would you like? not bother to try and get something out of it. Mm, I know. I mean, I'm reading them. <laughs> I am reading them. Your you're eyes reading, are seeing. You're looking at your the words. Your eyes are seeing the sure words, but you're not reading it. Not you know the difference. You know the difference between reading and, and reading. I accept it. I've, I've had a, I've not had my strongest week on the questions, questions and answers. Maybe I should have well, I done it a bit fresher. Enjoy it more. I think you'd enjoy yeah. it more. If yeah, you... I agree. I think you're not you're not allowing yourself to digest it. Okay, right. Next next week, I'm gonna pop my Harry Potter socks on. I'm gonna properly nerd it up, and I'm gonna get involved in it. Great. I don't think we're recording next week, but I... time anyway. I'll get my badge on. Well, next week, Rob. There's a fantastic chapter coming up. He'll right? love next week's chapter. Just the one. Next week, we would like you to read Chapter 31, Miller's. The third task. He'll like this one. All style, not much substance. You're, yeah, exactly. You're like, this is what you love. You love the action. You don't like information. Mm. You don't like interesting parts of the plot. Yeah. Rob, third task. Any thoughts on what might... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, not sure, to be honest, mate. Could be, could be anything. Do you remember what the third task is? It's the maze, isn't it? They've got to get out of the maze. Yeah, he was panicking. No, they haven't got to get out of the maze. Try no, they've got to get through the maze to get the cup. Yeah, and what's the rules? There are no rules. No, but what's the rules <laughs> regarding the cup? Oh, first, oh, first the cup gets the cup. Okay. Um, you are released at time intervals, depending on your point score. Uh, as Phil said, like gladiators. Um, and yeah. Get the cup, win the cup. Get the cup, win the cup. All right, Muggle Mail. Oh, Rob, why are you so silly? You dress like a muggle and you look like a Weasley. Oh, Rob, what do you think? Your stupid muggle likes to drive our listeners to the brink. Damn, Muggle. Rob. Hello. Muggle Mail from, she's back again, H to the C to the Bizzle. Long time friend of the show. She says this is a bit personal, so don't worry if he doesn't want to answer. Hello. But if Rob had a pensive, what memory would he put in and go back to? Um, I guess just you'd, you'd go back to your life highlights, wouldn't you? Good, good bits and pieces. Good nights out, sort of wedding, uh, you know, good moments at school, 
sporting achievements. And I'd just sit back, sit back with a whiskey and just sort of poke them around the bowl, just relive it. So do you think you'd like dive into it and get properly immersed or do you think you just sort of like rifle through the options? Um, yeah, I think some of them, wouldn't you? They're the best bits you'd probably want to get stuck into and, and go and watch again. I'd go from... back to some like really good football games that I've been to that were really yeah. enjoyable and just plonk myself in the crowd, probably take myself pitch side. Maybe I'd go on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, you could get in amongst it, couldn't you? No one can see me. I could stand in the goal, you know, get an incredible view of it. That's not your memory, so you wouldn't be able to see it. No, I was at the game, so I have a memory of the game. Yeah, but you can only have your memory of the game. You can't have the memory of someone who was standing in the goal of the game. Well, hold on. What do you think if Harry stands up in that courtroom, he can't move any like more than a yard away from Dumbledore? Well, if it's a memory... Oh, it's not how it works. We know that's not how it works. But you couldn't go back to a time in your life that you didn't have memory of. No, I'm talking about football games I was at. Yes, I know. But it's still like you can, it's still your memory of your experiences. Yeah. So you can't experience someone else's experience of that game. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying that my little ghost me, because there'd be two me's. Yeah. There'd be old me and now me that's just popped in to have a look. Little ghost me could sort of walk down the steps jump over the barrier at the side of the pitch and walk onto the pitch. I don't think you could because I don't, that ghost, that you don't have a memory of watching it from the side of the pitch or from the goal. That doesn't seem to matter though, does it? Because yeah. Harry's watching from a... from a, It actually doesn't matter. Yeah. But, I, but that's this is an issue that I've always had. I don't think it quite works. Well, also you get the thing of, if you were going back to your memories, would they be as good as you remembered them? Memory isn't real. No, it's only what you remember. So it might not be complete and it might not be accurate. False memes. Yeah, false memes. Everyone's got false memes and they change over time. Both Lindsay Millington, who's a... Long-time friend of the show. And Cheryl, who is a real fan, real fan. have called you out, Rob, because they said oh, that... Not again. Making your hair curl is an old saying. Is it really? Yeah. Uh, I guess my, it's... Cheryl says, my dad used to threaten us with that all the time. For instance, don't eat too much candy. It will make your hair curl. That's a happy home life. What I, it's, it kind of fits in with um, JK's kind of very old-fashioned sort of writing, you know? Yeah, and not, lots of the expressions and phrases are a little, a little bit archaic, like we wouldn't use them now. There's, a, there's an oldie-worldiness to, to the world itself. But there's also, I think it's age appropriate for the character who said it. Uh, she also said um, she doesn't think it's repetitive to mention the horses in the paddock twice. First, it says that she strode off around the paddock. Then they caught up with her. Then she led them past the paddock. She did say, though, that she's disappointed in the porridge. Oh. She thought it sounded more exotic. Cheryl, you've got a world of porridge ahead of you. Porridge doesn't sound exotic to me. It sounds like porridge. Porridge. Don't write it off until you've tried the flavour combos. Right. What else do we have? I had some muggle mail from longtime friend of the show, Lauren King. Question for Rob. Um, have you ever cried at a book or a film? And if so, which one or ones? See, this is a reminder for all longtime friends of the show and real fans. 
the Muggle Mail and Outpost, it doesn't have to be related to the chapters we're in right now. It doesn't even necessarily have to be related to the book we're in right now. It could be anything. So, Rob, yeah, you ever cried at a book or film? Hit us. Yeah, I have cried at a lot of films because contrary to the belief of me having a stone heart, I am actually, do actually have emotions and I'm capable of them. So, yeah, I've cried at a lot of movies. Um, cried at Silent, Silent Night, just the song, the other day. Had a good cry about that. Phil, do you cry much at films or books and stuff? Um, I just have this policy now where once I start getting upset, I just stop. Really? Yeah. You stop engaging with the content. I started listening to a later chapter in this book today on my run, and it, I got very emotional. <laughs> I got a little bit emotional listening to the end of this chapter. Really I'm talking about Neville's parents. Really? Yeah, they don't recognise their son. They're so baby. sad. Yeah, but it's a story. You know. It's not real. Yeah, Miller's is infamous for no emotion. At these how are you then getting into the story if you're not? I get into it, but I don't cry. I don't cry at films or books. I've cried at loads of books. I mainly cry out of frustration. Oh, I cried in these books loads. Side Hustles definitely made me cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garp, World yeah. According to Garp, definitely made me cry. But I do like them, and like doesn't mean I don't find them. Definitely sad. cried in the seventh, in the last pot of oh. book. Definitely, definitely, hundred uh, percent. The film I was talking about is called Just Mercy, starring Jamie Fox. It's about sort of death row, uh, a lawyer defending people on death row. Oh, the Green Mile. When because that film came out, and I first saw that film when I was probably eleven or twelve. Yeah, all time favorite. Hell, did I cry at that film? You kind of fully got on board with it, or like fully appreciated it at that age. Well, the Green Mile. Yeah, it moved me. Just mercy. I think. I think it's also to Miller's point. It's, it's because that one is a true story. So it's like, yeah. E- even if you just, you know, this didn't. This isn't real. This didn't happen. Which is my approach if if it's a scary movie and I'm scared. But with this, it's like, well, it did happen. So it, get your tear ducts open. Mm. You get scared. I don't like thing, I don't like not knowing what's going to happen. Mm. Well, I mean, that's sort of part of the fun of the movie, isn't it? Yeah, no, but it makes me really scared and anxious. <laughs> okay, I think this can be muggle mail. She says, Do you think magical folk use magic for birth control? Yes. How do you think that works? Don't think. Don't think this is my arena. But surely there must be something they can do. Phil. Um, well, I'm trying to think. What's your logic, there, Millers? Like how they clearly they, they clearly use some form of birth control. Like barrier methods. Well, no, I'm just saying they clearly use some form of birth control, whatever it is, because they don't have like. Look at the Weasleys. But that's unusual, isn't it? A yeah, lot of them. True are either only children or maybe have one sibling. Mm. They're probably not using anything like too scientific. Is that what you were saying, Phil? Yeah, I can't imagine that they... Like ones that are based on just hormones or, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I can't imagine they'd use like... No, I can't imagine something like that. And they, I don't think they'd have the pill technology. Or maybe they just use the pill. I imagine they could have something better. The best forms of birth control would be barrier methods. So if they could, if they could do that in a in a better in a better way than what we have, which can break or whatever, then yeah, I reckon they do something for that. That would make way more sense. A way that's 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 
better like comfort wise as well maybe they've got a magical method that you know is done on men that's better done on them men men but they like yeah like just like be like you like take take the sperm out you take it all out just to sort of puff of air <laughs> yeah, who asked the question about this? It was Lauren King, long time friend of the show. I remember her. You went you went on a date with her. It wasn't a date. I mean it was barely a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob, see you later, mate. See you later. Bye. Love you, bye. bye. He's gone. Thoughts, everyone? Oh, I'm pissed off with them. Pretty bad, wasn't it? It's not my favourite book, but this is a great chapter. They've got some great... He, we've got to get him interested in the story. and it, It's not working the way we're doing it at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the big ones, uh, one of the big chapters. You learn so much, and all he cares about is the task chapters, where how, how he gets to, like, go swimming or ride on a broomstick. Bit of a damp squib. But also, he didn't. He didn't read it properly. He couldn't answer any questions. He couldn't remember anything. No, he couldn't. He was really bad at that. This he week. needs to take notes. He needs to take notes when he reads, and he needs to think about, oh, what does this mean? Oh, why is this in here? They probably haven't just written this for no reason. Yeah, agreed. Anyway, let's us get into it. I really like the. I think I'm right in saying this, that there's some really good foundation being laid here with Rookwood. Because yes. is Rookwood not the guy who also gives the important information in book five? There's a scene in book five where he... Rookwood, because he worked in the Department of Mysteries, uh, escapes from Azkaban. He's kind of released to Voldemort and Voldemort gets this important information about prophecy in the Department of Mysteries that he's that been... Bode, that Bode would never have been able to take it, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is why, and yeah. That he's been trying to get, and Rookwood is the one who's able to provide that because he worked there for years. It seems that Karkaroff was let off for just basically one name. Yeah. Um, Sounds like he was a major mole. Oh, massive. Rookwood was a major mole. Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's what I mean. It obviously... So it, shows i guess how how important the department of mysteries is and also it seems obviously after that they obviously looked they looked into that and looked into what would have of them started investigating other people yeah ludo bagman because i was always surprised that karkar only really had one name although he tried to give him as many as he could he only really had one yeah, that must have had a big impact because obviously the ramifications of them catching Rookwood on that information were enough that Karkaroff was able to be released from Azkaban or even just have his sentence shortened a bit to, you know, maybe even what he'd already served. It is unreal that this guy is a convicted Death Eater and is now the head of a school, whether that school is in a different country that is completely insane, surely. Well, and also I think it says a lot to Dumbledore's influence, the fact that Snape is a teacher. I completely agree. He he went to court, so it would have been public information that Snape was a Death Eater, is no longer, but still, you know, there's got to be a lot of stigma associated with, like, ever being 
a Death Eater, like regardless of whether you change size. But I wonder if, but we, no, I don't think it is public information that he's a Death Eater. There was a court case. This is all, they're, they're all going to this, this court, like, it's not a closed court, is it? This we open. don't know that though, do we? Well, we'll come back to that, but it seems to me to well, be a like matter it. of public record. There's a Rita Skeeter in there. They've got a journalist in there. Like the jury don't seem to be any people that are particularly special. It doesn't say that they're dressed in a certain way or that one of them was the Minister for Magic or even like a, a figure from the ministry that we might know, like a Cornelius Fudge or... Skeeter's only in there for Ludo's. She isn't mentioned in the other ones. They're all pronounced as being bought before the Council of Magical Law. There's no procedural difference in what's going on here. Yeah, I see what you mean. I guess what I'm saying is we don't know that it is public. It very much feels like it because although we know that Dumbledore and Moody are important people. They don't seem to be part of the case. They're there watching because obviously it's of interest to them and they want to know, but they're not part of the prosecution or part of the defence. Nobody, nobody really is, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But the other thing that I wanted to mention goes a little bit back to what I sort of said to Rob about how the community is scarred and divided still by this this event that happened. And it's a bit like when you have countries that are divided and then they're reunified, like, say, Germany. Mm -hmm. There has been in Germany over, like, the last 30 years or whatever, like, an enormous amount of resources and emphasis and education into what Germany is now and like what it has been and what it can't ever be again. Whereas in the wizarding world, that reckoning doesn't seem to have happened, even though it's relatively common knowledge, not necessarily that who was a Death Eater, that's kind of a little bit murky, but it's certainly common knowledge that not all of the Death Eaters were caught. And so there hasn't really been that kind of reckoning it's the kind of reckoning that we're led to believe happens after the second Voldemort rising. Crouch never trusts Bagman and never thinks that he should have been part of the ministry based on what happened back in the day. And clearly, when we see their relationship at the beginning of this book, that hasn't changed. Crouch still doesn't think that Bagman is sort of suitable or worthy of being part in the ministry because of what happened 15 or so years ago and so yeah I think people would be aware of the Snape thing I can't see if he because he's gone up on trial not all Death Eaters did but he went up on trial and it wasn't that he was found innocent of being a Death Eater he was found that he was a Death Eater and then he switched sides I can't see how that's not public knowledge no nor can I but let's get on to what is going on here and the system that's in place, because I think this is one of the most interesting things about the chapter itself. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on how many Death Eaters do you think like evaded justice completely and how were that many able to do so? It seems to me like there's so many people in the magical community still who like had sympathy for 
Voldemort or were full on Death Eaters that never came to justice. So how do you well, think that? Looking at this, the picture in the graveyard and like there are certain gaps. Yeah. There aren't loads and loads of them. No, there yeah. aren't loads of fully fledged Death Eaters, but it's hinted that there were quite a few Death Eater sympathizers sympathizers and supporters i also wouldn't be surprised if someone like malfoy like basically paid his way out a little bit like i don't that wouldn't work on crouch but that might work on someone else i think there's like a few things going on so the first thing we need to do is like distinguish the difference between a sympathizer and a death eater mm-hmm. which are very different aren't they like incredibly different the thing is is that when they're being they're when they're on trial, they need to be accused of specific offenses. Exactly. Not just being sympathetic to the cause. Exactly. Because like for example, we know we know, for example, like Sirius's parents, major mm-hmm. sympathizers, like major sympathizers. And whenever I like look at the 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 pensive chapter, I'm always reminded really strongly of the Nuremberg trials. That's what always comes to mind. Like Nazi Germany, the way that there was a huge, huge proportion of the population that weren't Nazis, but were 100% happy to go along with it, because it it just like, it just managed to feed into the insecurities that that country had been through. Mm. A massive reason why loads of them would have been able to evade capture is because of the imperious curse you can never fully prove who was imperious and who wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And it is said that that was an issue, isn't it? Yes. Sirius says like that caused a lot of problems for the ministry at one point. So the imperious curse is a big part of it. And then the other thing is um, you still get a very layered society. We've talked previously about like, like a kind of class, system within the wisdom world and actually within the wisdom world it's more to do with status grandeur and then like magical power it would have taken a lot to accuse the Malfoys that's a big part of it because you're always going to be walking this tightrope if you're someone like Karkaroff of who do I give up and who if they don't if if I don't give them enough information to put that person away is actually going to make my life outside of Azkaban impossible anyway. By being seen to give good money to yeah. good causes, exactly. they, th- people don't want to accuse them because then they lose that, that money. Yeah, and we see it later in the Passing of the Ways chapter. That's this book, isn't it? The Passing of the Ways. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, when um, Harry starts listing off these Death Eaters and mm-hmm. Fudge is like, they says the Malfoys and Fudge is immediately like, um, very respectable family, always gives money to worthy causes, like immediately just pushes it to one side because actually it's not worth his job to go against them. I reckon part of the reason why it never went all the way and didn't collapse like a house of cards was because of what Miller said right at the beginning was that not everybody knew everybody. So there was limited information. And then the other important element would be when you'd hit like a, you'd hit like a roadblock Mm. who wouldn't give any names up. So for example, someone like Rookwood, who was a really big deal for Karkaroff to name and seemed 
was a really major breakthrough for the ministry it's quite possible then that Rookwood would have just like stonewalled yeah you get these people who are like so loyal that they won't give up any names um even the ones that they know and they might even try to obfuscate and give give other names that send the ministry off down another There'd wild be an goose element chest. of you know like which which a witch hunt going on win there and an yeah. element of like oh i'm not death eater you are i think you're a death eater because i saw you do blah 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 so there would have been an element of that kind of mccarthyism going on there wouldn't there where almost if even if somebody had information they might not want to come forward for fear of the person then saying that they've done it or whatever just moving on would you like a magical history lesson good god yes Oh, brilliant. Because the next thing that I wanted to talk about you guys with was wizarding law and justice in general, including the role of the minister. I thought it might be worth covering first who the ministers were during this time. Yeah. Do you know? No. I know it's mentioned at some point, isn't it? Because Crouch was was like tipped to take over. But then Fudge... No, he didn't. Yeah, yeah. Then Fudge took over. Who had it? Yeah, who had it when? So I looked up earlier the first Wizarding War, basically when Voldemort first came to power, took place roughly between the years of 1970 and 1981. Yeah. And there were three ministers during that time. So first was Eugenia Jenkins, who was minister from 68 to 75. It says she dealt competently with the pure blood riots during the squib rights marches in the late 60s, but was soon confronted with the first rise of Lord Voldemort. Jenkins was soon ousted from office as inadequate to the challenge. Then you had Harold Mincham. Seen as a hardliner, he placed even more dementors around Azkaban, but was unable to campaign what looked, sorry, but was unable to contain what looked like Voldemort's unstoppable rise to power. Then in 1980, he's kicked out. So that's a year before uh, it all goes down between Voldemort and Harry, and is replaced by Millicent Bagnold, a highly able minister. That's the only thing that it really mentions about her involvement with the war. Yeah. So it leaves a lot of room for Fanon here on how justice is set up in general in the wizarding world, but also what's going on in the pensive here with the Council of Magical Law. All it says further further about her is, had to answer to the International Confederation of Witches for the number of, sorry, International Confederation of Wizards for the number of breaches of the International Statute of Secrecy on the day and night following Harry Potter's survival of Lord Voldemort's attack. Acquitted herself magnificently with the now infamous words, I assert our inalienable right to party. So that one kind of descends into like a a joke. Yeah, a legend, totally. And she was their minister for another nine years after Voldemort's downfall. So she is minister during this time when the trials are happening. That's exactly right. So these trials are taking place basically in the short time before and the short time after Voldemort's downfall. We've heard that name before. Is she like... Millicent Bagnold? Yeah. I'm not sure I'd heard it before. No, I don't think I had. So, yes, I think some of these trials are taking place while Voldemort is still at large. It's not entirely clear 
Uh, I tried to look up the, the Council of Magical Law and get more information on it. But let's just take a quick step back from the Council of Magical Law, which is this specific council that um, Crouch is running here as the head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement. And let's just talk firstly about wizarding justice and how you think it all lines up with the minister. Do you have any thoughts? Well, we know there's the, is it the Wizengamot? The Wizengamot. No. That we see in book six. So interesting you mentioned the Wizengamot because it says on wizardingworld.com that that predates the Ministry of Magic. Right, okay. So the the Wizards Council, which is like, you know, a real thing, I think, from like English literature and myth, um, so according to wizardingworld.com, became the Wizengamot at some point. And then the Wizengamot uh, predates the Ministry of Magic and the position of the minister. So that has some effect on the way I imagine wizarding yeah. law justice is carried out. But I wanted to get your guys' thoughts. I definitely imagine that there would be some sort of ministerial decree and that is kind of backed up by what happens now in the next book with everything that happens with Embridge. For some reason, it for me, it leans more towards like a presidency. Like mm-hmm. I think of the minister more as, as I would think of the US president. I don't really know why. But that- about making laws isn't it rather than passing judgment what well, I guess yeah no yeah so uh, what I think is that somebody could get off with a ministerial decree it's interesting you say that it um it predates the ministry because in yeah. this book it seems that like the minister is like not involved yeah in the course of justice as it would be like in our setup, obviously, we have the separation of powers. So our government uh, supposedly has nothing to do with our courts. Yeah. Um, but then later on, when Harry is up in front of the Wizengamot, it is the minister, isn't it? Yeah. But we know that at that point, there is a lot of, there have been a lot of changes. We know that um, Dumbledore was kicked off. And yeah. presumably there were other changes. And and um, I think some people just left because they weren't happy. Um, and so that it seems like a little bit more of maybe a corrupt time that maybe it's not, nor, it might not be usual for to sit on that and that on that council yeah i I imagine that it is extremely unusual for the minister to get involved in the wizengamot but they may choose to do so if they believe that there are some kind of exceptional circumstances the wizengamot also makes the laws yeah so make the making of laws happens independently from the minister that said i think the minister for magic obviously can have some influence mm-hmm. over laws, either by, um, you know, selecting what goes in front of the Wizengamot for consideration, yeah. or like you say, Phil, for 
enacting some kind of like emergency powers where they can then make decrees. Well, like veto things. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we know that in book five, um, that those these are not things that have been, and I mean, you know, from, from the nature of them, these are not things that have been passed by the Wazingamot. No. These are things that, that fudge has just... So I imagine what's happened here, because this Council of Magical Law is clearly separate from the Wizengamot and it works in a different way. Mm. The Wizengamot makes laws and then it holds trials where you can defend yourself and the Wizengamot acts as like the prosecution. And then the Wizengamot also acts as the jury. The head of the Wizengamot obviously kind of leads the proceedings and then they initiate a vote and basically you get off or you get convicted on a simple majority. Yeah. What's happening here in the Council of Magical Law is a different system where it seems like members of the Wizengamot are watching or or other prominent members of like the Magical Law Enforcement uh, Department, but there's a much smaller jury who may or may not be made up of just the normal wizarding population or members of the Wizengamot or a hybrid of Wizengamot, law enforcement, or as we don't know. We don't yeah. also see the whole process, do we? We, we mainly only see, we only see, see the, the sentencing. That's correct. Which is interesting that when we have a jury, the jury pass judgment just on whether they're guilty or not, but they yeah. don't have they don't get involved in the sentencing. That is kind of up to the, the judge or magistrate or whoever it is. But we obviously, you know, they make reference to what has been said before. There's obviously been the whole yeah. process before where they've heard evidence. In the certainly in the last one, the guilt has been already decided. Yeah, and it's just a matter of sentencing them. Yeah, we obviously miss the the magical councils like interrogation or deliberation of the facts. Yeah, what I think has happened here, just because of the dates, is this Millicent. Bagnold, who's become minister right around the time that Voldemort's like at his peak, she may have been influenced by Crouch to allow Crouch to set up a new emergency powers style council of law that works in a different way to the Wizengamot for the purposes of making the trying and sentencing of Death Eaters much quicker and easier Mm -hmm. and much more controlled by one person although he doesn't always have his way, as we see with Bagman, but something that is much easier controlled than something like a larger Wizengamot, which sounds like yeah. it contains a few hundred wizards voting, as opposed to a jury of like a, a dozen or something like that. And I imagine that this Bagnold minister coming in under pressure gave Crouch kind of the go-ahead. It definitely seems like something that's set up specifically to catch Death Eaters, doesn't it? Definitely. It definitely is. Yeah, absolutely. Even uh, the way that Dumbledore talks about it, where he says, I visited that court several times, it yes. makes it sound like it's not a thing anymore. It was like of its time. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and Dumbledore seemingly, as headmaster of Hogwarts, potentially been the the chief warlock of the Wizengam or wherever he is at this time, but he seems to have been shut out of it slightly he seems present and influential but he's not leading it in the way that he would normally be leading and this is this is common of like post post war or wartime isn't it where normal in our world we would say human rights or civil liberties are suspended 
people want something that's much more hardlined. Even just in the aftermath of like terror, like exactly laws that they were able to bring in after terrorist attacks. Yeah, yeah. They're brutal. You wouldn't agree to them in normal times. And and you think about like the uh, the British and who they've lent towards as like war prime ministers. And, you know, Churchill was not palatable as a non-war prime minister, mm. but as a war prime minister, he was brilliant because he made decisions and he was decisive. It is interesting. I think it's very reflective of how people behave in situations like this and how people, how societies have behaved historically. I totally agree. And something that I think backs up maybe this theory of like the minister for magic, Millicent Bagnold, maybe decreeing that a separate justice system was going to be set up mm. comes from information on a sort of Harry Potter fandom Wikipedia page, which describes how in 1980, when this which became minister, Peter Pettigrew had already become a Death Eater at some point during that year. Okay. And actually Pettigrew's defecting, which precipitated a very brutal series of Death Eater attacks and there's the talk about how they how that all seemed to happen very quickly right and it's like that's when it, it was kind of at its absolute peak where members of the order of the phoenix were getting like picked off yeah and obviously because, we had, because, yeah. because Pettigrew was now an insider right that kind of fits with the timeline of when something else happened which is Barty Crouch issued an edict which gave ministry auras like new powers Uh, to use the unforgivable curses. This is in the book, though, this information. It's all in the book. So all of this kind of evidence seems to add up to the fact that this Council of Magical Law was like a temporary extrajudicial system that was set up potentially by the minister, but heavily influenced by Crouch to make this process as kind of quick and swift and brutal as possible. Yeah, in in response to what was going on. And that that obviously carried on for some time after Voldemort had actually fallen. But yeah, I think that's really different to how it works normally with the Wizengamot, which seems a bit more kind of fair. Not not fair, not like they're being unfair on the Death Eaters here or anything. Yeah. It seems more of like a due process. Yeah. And Dumbledore seems troubled by it, doesn't he? To me, he seems troubled by what's going on. Um, And that's obviously because he would have been more of the kind of traditionalist kind of view of the Wizengamot being the the right way of doing things. Do you think Dumbledore wanted Harry to find the pensive and look at this stuff? I think Rob even mentioned it. Yeah, I do think so. I don't think he's really angry or like, I think he's probably glad, but I don't think that he... He set it up necessarily. Because like... Dumbledore like does seem to know you know a lot of what's going on but I don't think that like oh he knew that Harry was going to come to see him later that day um Mm. so I don't think that he planned for it but I do think that he's happy for to share that information with him yeah he's still very selective about what he shares with him and what he doesn't Oh, what he answers, sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, But he's not, you know, I don't think he's, you know, he doesn't, I think he's generally not bothered that Harry has seen those memories. 
I think he's a bit like, I wish he hadn't, but I accept he probably needs to. One of my notes about this chapter, which as far as I know, we don't have the answer to, we certainly don't in the books, is when did Moody's eye happen? Yeah, so we got our post about that. Yeah. I guess you kind of just assume that it would have been during the war. Yeah. Or during like the big roundup afterwards. And obviously, oh, at that last hearing, and, Dumb- and that's kind of like the last big one, isn't it? It's, it's just Dumbledore describes it as like, that was just as everyone felt safe. Yeah. Um, lots of Death Eaters had been convicted and sent to Azkaban. So even then, he had both eyes. Yeah. Do you think it's one of those things where, like, obviously he's an aura and he does, like, he does all these amazing things, but maybe he just, like, poked himself in the eye with a broomstick or something yeah, like... Yeah, it was like a silly thing. It was just, like, something in the kitchen. Yeah. It was, it's not a, like, really good story, but he yeah. probably, like, some, like, some story. Yeah. Clarify, it was a um, long-time friend of the show, HCB, who sent in the some, some outpost that we've just covered. Do you think Dumbledore left the pensive door open for Harry on purpose? Is there anything Dumbledore says that you'd like to discuss further? Because he says a lot in this chapter without us really getting any kind of like major revelations. Because the major revelation is about Neville's parents. What I find such a revelation about this chapter is, remember we spoke about that chapter straight after Harry's name comes out of the goblet that takes place in the side chamber and how it almost feels like a play kind of Agatha Christie like I think that's what's really impressed upon me in this chapter when you read a play and you have all these characters that you're meeting for the first time and your kind of job as somebody either interpreting those characters or anything or anything else is working out what's the subtext what's the backstory and we really realize it in this chapter the intensity of the backstory between those major players Mm -hmm. that were in that room at the beginning so Crouch, Bagman, Moody, Snape, Karkaroff, Dumbledore like how deep these vendettas run you know Moody must still be incredibly resentful of Crouch for striking a deal that got Karkaroff off. Karkaroff is also in this room. Karkaroff accused Snape of being a Death Eater. They've known each other in this, like, sordid past life. Mm. You know, like, all of this is going on all the time. It's only now that you really start to understand how much context there is to all of that yeah totally and all and you're when you're first reading it like like for example rob he's thinking that he's got snape karkaroff and moody he thinks at school he knows that yeah you know he knows there's something suspicious going on he knows that there's someone dodgy at hogwarts yeah and now he's finding out that they are all their stories are kind of intertwined you're like cogs are turning, you're trying to work out which, like, who's telling the truth, who's on what side. Yeah. But this is why it's disapp- so disappointing to me that he doesn't, that he wasn't, like, taken by that. And Philippa, you've talked about this before, where your reading of the Goblet of Fire, in my head, was based around that opening chapter 
somebody's going to be in Hogwarts working for Voldemort. And yeah. you read it almost as like a, a who done it or who's doing it, who's the yeah. mole, mm-hmm. almost like a kind of spy slash mystery book. Whereas I remember reading it as more of an action adventure slash school hall, like school corridor. Yeah, the first time I I so, didn't I didn't know. remember that. Like I've read that I and that chapter I understood it, but I didn't remember that as I was reading for the rest the rest yeah. of the book. And Rob definitely reads it in my way. I think but way more interested in the yeah. action, the yeah, adventure, and the even though Phil's tried to point and point that out as much as he possibly can. Yeah, we have tried, and maybe we should have pressed him on it this week and said, so Rob, with all the information you have now, do you remember what Voldemort said at the beginning? you know there's he's going to be someone in place who do you think it is his answer would probably have been i don't know it could be anyone which to be fair ends up being true yes but he's (laughs) supposed to think about it well it will be interesting if we ask him rob think about all the books so far think about all the books so far how do you think this pans out because in every book there's a twist right yeah, exactly. And it's like he he misses that. The first four in particular, it's like every book's a twist. So you get your Quirrell, you get your Tom Riddle, yeah. you get your Pettigrew and Sirius not being a bad guy, and then you get Barty Crouch Jr. They run out a little bit in the fifth, I think. It, it becomes more of, a, more of a conflict. When it feeds on to the next one then, doesn't it? Less of a kind of a a self-contained kind of who is it or who done it kind of thing. It's, it's more of a broader conflict in the last three books. Yeah, he's definitely forgotten that element. And I think that does affect the way he reads it. And I think that's just because of the time span that he has to read them over. Question about when Harry says to Dumbledore, why do you believe Snape? Yeah. And Dumbledore says, that's between me and Snape. Now, obviously, it's a parallel universe. We're into like fan fiction rather than fanon here. But had Dumbledore outlived Snape somehow, for whatever reason, do you think Dumbledore would have ever revealed the details to Harry? That it was all about, you know, always and all that. I like to think that he would have. However, I think that Dumbledore seems to be really good at waiting for people to draw their own conclusion to things like if I was Dumbledore in this situation I'd be saying to Harry right you've got to try and understand what was going on at this time and the powers that were at play and what had happened just before it and what how this led to this decision this is whereas Dumbledore's so um He's so like hands off. He's so happy to just kind of outline the facts as he sees them with tiny pepperings of his suspicions here and his suspicions there. He doesn't at any point say, look, right, Crouch might have been on the side of good, but he wasn't a good guy at this point. You know, like he doesn't give his opinion. And that is disappointing as it's as it seems makes me think that he would almost just let it go and just kind of go oh it wasn't meant to be yeah yeah but I like to think that he would have told Harry but I don't know that he would have I'm not sure that he would have I'm not sure that he'd have been comfortable with that I reckon he might have told him but only in the same way a kind of deathbed yeah yeah maybe revelation I don't think he would have 
I don't think he could have talked to him about it. Harry came so close to never knowing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what if Harry had got that those pensive memories from Snape, but hadn't managed to get to the pensive it, itself to watch it? Like, all of those, like, things that when you're reading them, you're like, oh, my God, this could not happen, this could not happen. So much was left to chance. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, it's a book, and she was going to write it, so it did happen. But when you're as absorbed in it as we are, Rob isn't, but as we are, you think oh my gosh, like, like I said, so much, just feels like so much was left to chance. It just wasn't sure enough that these things would happen. And I think we feel as readers that it's imperative that Harry knows those things. Yeah. What's your question? Tell me what's your question. What's your question? Tell me what's your question. What's your question? Yeah, I have some hour posts from Emir. The first thing he said was just that what we spoke about um, earlier with Moody having two eyes um, in the pensive memories. He says, is the pensive a contradiction? How would you remember to look at a memory if that memory has already been removed from your head? Or do you think it's a copy that goes into the pensive and not the original? I always read it as the original, this clearing space in the person's head. You know, like when you've got loads of things to do and you write down a list, that just helps you to then prioritise as you think through because you're not thinking, don't forget milk. I can think about the eggs because I know I'm not going to forget the milk. It's how you can look at it in the pensive, you can look at it in isolation, can't you? So it helps you to think about that memory. Yeah, I think what he's saying about it being a copy is close to what I feel about it. So you could use the word copy or maybe version. I think that they are truly accurate to the facts of the matter, but they may not be word perfect in their accuracy. So everything that's said may not have been exactly said in that order or exactly with those words or exactly in that tone. Mm -hmm. For example, when Crouch's mum is sat next to Crouch Senior in the uh, pensive memory that Dumbledore has of it, it's very noticeable to to Harry that she's crying a lot. I think that's true. Yeah. That that was truly the fact of the matter. But it may be that Dumbledore remembered that better than somebody else who may have been in the room. Maybe he was paying more yes, attention to what she was feeling and what she was doing than somebody else. So within the memory, the sounds of her sobbing may be louder or clearer or more prominent. Whereas the sound of somebody sneezing three rows back which actually happened may not register in Dumbledore's version of the memory. You may not even hear it because he doesn't remember it because it's not important important to the context of the memory. So I think that they are truly accurate as to what happened. I don't think you can remember things incorrectly when you remove them from your head like that. But I think that the 
there's still uh, there's still an element of subjectivity. Yes, there's still an element of subjectivity. So things might be said or in a slightly different way to how they actually were, and that's to do with your subjective interpretation. What what it says it does on this. So this is on wizardingworld.com. Go on. And was originally published on Pottermore. Mm-hmm. Um the perceived dangers of the pensive relate to its power over memory or thought. The pensive is enchanted to recreate memories so that they become relivable, taking every detail stored in the subconscious and recreating it faithfully so that either the owner or, and herein lies the danger, a second party is able to enter the memory and move around within them. Inevitably, those with things to hide, those ashamed of their past, those eager to keep hold of their secrets or protective of their privacy will be wary of an object like the pensive. And then it also talks about like pensives, like ones are generally buried with their owner. Does he want a, does Emir want a... uh, He's got one. Calendar, a calendar. I I don't know whether I've, I've said this before but Emir said that he absolutely loved hearing Megan's son's oh, yeah. um take on on the gummy walnut what he's reading the gummy walnut um and yeah so like if anyone's reading along with it with their kids um or niece and nephews whoever um that we would love to hear from them apparently everyone loves loves hearing their I like opinions. that kid um Emir said could Megan if you're listening, could your son send a picture of what he thinks 